Yeah, I think George Washington might have still been president at the time. Yes, this is Texas history, not American history. Right. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Before the Texas Revolution, before the Fredonia Revolt, indeed, before Mexico even won its freedom from Spain, several groups of headstrong, brave, and perhaps foolhardy adventurers made their own attempts to win Texas independence. These freebooters were known as the filibusters, and Philip Nolan is considered to be the first of many to make an enduring mark on Texas history. But first, what's your favorite Texas belt buckle? I don't care what shape it is. It's just got to have a roping cowboy on the front of it. (laughs) Well, my favorite belt buckle will always be the big giant brass belt buckle I got at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo when I was a child that is in the shape of my name, Scott, in big giant block letters. And as a bonus, the belt also had my name stamped on it. Nice. When I was a kid at the Fort Bend Livestock Auction, you had to have an official belt buckle that you got when you actually were part of the auction. So you could only get into the auction area wearing this special one-of-a-kind belt buckle. So you see a lot of people walking around with these big oval-shaped, you know, Fort Bend County auction <laughs> belt buckles on. And was that also their paddle for the auction? Or I think they... actually, you, yeah, I think actually you could either wear it in, a bit, I think, or you could hold it up as a paddle. Or I could think. you like use it to reflect the light upon the auctioneer? It wasn't a very big auction. It's not, they're not, you know, it was Fort Bend County <laughs> auction. Were they sharpened on the edge, so once you bought your cow, you could butcher it immediately? Okay, these aren't like Chuck Norris catalog <laughs> weapons. It's just a belt buckle, man. Did Jim Bowie it keeps your pants. It, look, it just keeps your Jim? pants off the floor. That's the belt buckle's job. Keep the, the pants off the floor. The Bowie belt buckle? The Bowie belt buckle. The Bowie okay. buckle. We've talked about the idea that Texas, in its nature, breeds rebellion. At the turn of the 19th century, Texas, and indeed all of the Spain's North American empire, were turbulent and chaotic places. Soon after, the Bourbon dynasty was completely overthrown by Napoleon in 1808, revolutionary movements sprang up throughout Spanish America. The crown's power and control over her empire began a long and painful decline. Before all of this, to many Americans, Texas was at the far limits of Spain's reach. Few Americans had been there. Most of those who had went during the period when Spain supported the American War for Independence. They saw Texas as huge tracts of sparsely populated land teeming with huge herds of buffalo, wild cattle, and horses. It was horses that brought Philip Nolan to Texas in 1791. Nolan was a well-educated Irish immigrant who, at the age of 15, was employed as the personal secretary of Western businessman, politician, and military leader General James Wilkinson. Wilkinson is one of the great characters of American history, though mostly for all the wrong reasons. It was later said that he was a general who never won a battle or lost a court-martial. He had served in the Revolutionary War and became a general through political rather than military achievement. After the war, he advocated for both the statehood and independence of Kentucky. He was involved in the trade and land speculation with Spain, even signing a declaration of allegiance to the King of Spain to further his business interests. In 1791, Wilkinson was the second most senior officer in the U.S. Army, but was also secretly in the pay of the Spanish governor of Louisiana. Wilkinson would have a long and dubious connection with Texas. Serving under Wilkinson gave young Nolan contact with many of the high officials of Spanish Louisiana. In 1791, he was sent into Louisiana on a trading mission, though some sources note that Wilkinson also wanted to see what was happening in Texas. 
Nolan ended up trading with Indians living along the Red River in North Texas for two years. His trade goods were confiscated by Spanish officials, however, since he wasn't actually supposed to be in Texas. He did manage to return to New Orleans in 1793 with a herd of wild mustangs. In 1794, he obtained permission to enter Texas itself from the governor of Spanish Louisiana, the Baron de Carondelet. He was going to obtain horses for the local militia. He traveled to San Antonio and met Governor Manuel Munoz, who gave him permission to take the horses he'd gathered out of Texas. This time he returned to Natchez with 250 horses. Nolan's trip started to raise the suspicion of some Spanish officials, especially when he assisted the U.S. Boundary Commission with their mapping efforts on the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. Nolan obtained a third passport from Carondelet to enter Texas. Another official, Gayoso de Lemos, wrote to the Viceroy in Mexico that Nolan was actually a spy who was trying to stir up Texas Indians against Spanish rule. Nolan made it to San Antonio with a large wagon train of trade goods in 1797. He lived there for over a year, marrying a young local woman, Maria Quinones, and they had a daughter. In 1799, the Spanish military commander, Pedro de Nava, was ordered by the viceroy in Mexico to eject Nolan. Munoz protected Nolan and granted him safe passage out of Texas. He left his wife and daughter in San Antonio and returned to Natchez with 1,200 Mustangs. According to many sources, he also had a map of Texas drawn from his own observations. Nolan was becoming quite wealthy from his expeditions and planned another one, but this time his request for a passport was refused. He hatched a plan to go in northern Texas, where there were no Spanish settlements, gather more horses, build a fort, and trade with the local tribes, all while avoiding the Spanish authorities. In December 1799, he also married Frances Lintett, the daughter of a Natchez planter. So not only was he going to illegally enter another country, but he was also a bigamist. It seems like Wilkinson's flexible morality rubbed off on young Phil. In October 1800, Nolan and 30 heavily armed frontiersmen left Natchez and crossed the Sabine River. Among them was 17-year-old Peter Ellis Bean, who was Nolan's right-hand man. They passed well north of Nacogdoches and went into the hill country of Texas on the Brazos River, somewhere between Waco and Hillsboro. They built a small fort and started gathering Mustangs. Unfortunately for Nolan, the Spanish knew he was coming. Jose Vidal, a Spanish trade official in Natchez, had notified the Nacogdoches garrison that Nolan's force was headed for Texas. In March of 1801, Captain Miguel Musquez led 120 cavalrymen to arrest Nolan. Musquez caught Nolan's men near the present-day town of Bloom, about 50 miles south of Fort Worth. There was a sharp fight, and Nolan was killed by a random shot to the head. Bean took over command and tried to escape, but was unable to do so. He finally negotiated a surrender on the promise that they would be taken to New Orleans and returned to the United States. The Spanish commander cut the ears off Nolan's corpse and buried him near Mustang Creek. The survivors set off with their Spanish captors toward Nacogdoches. According to Ellis Bean's memoirs, the Americans and their Spanish captors traveled together towards Nacogdoches peacefully, hunting game and sharing meals. Bean claimed that when they reached the Trinity River south of present-day Dallas, the river was swollen and they were unable to cross it. He reported that they chopped down some trees from a nearby grove and made a raft. Incredibly, Bean says he rode the Spaniards across first, leaving the Americans on the far side. When Bean came back to get his comrades, he suggested that they cut out across the prairie and escape. His friends, however, said they wanted to go home and insisted that Bean row them across as well. Unfortunately for the Americans, when they got to Nacogdoches, they found out that the Spanish had no desire to return them to the U.S. Looks like Bean was right. They were put in irons and marched 800 miles to Chihuahua. For six years, they were subjected to harsh conditions in a dungeon. 
the Spanish crown finally ordered two of the remaining ten captives executed. The governor of Chihuahua, on receiving the order, told the captives that only one of them would be executed. One of the captives, John Pierce, had recently died. He ordered all nine remaining men to roll two dice while blindfolded. The man with the lowest roll would be executed. Ellis Bean rolled a five, but luck was with him. Ephraim Blackburn threw a four. Blackburn was executed on November 11, 1807. The survivors remained in prison for three more years before they were released. Most went back to the United States, but Bean stayed in Mexico and joined the first Mexican Revolution. He finally returned to the United States in 1814, fighting at the Battle of New Orleans, but returned to Mexico in 1815. He participated in the Mexican Revolution through its conclusion, and like his mentor Nolan, he managed to be married to two women at the same time. He had one family in Mexico and one in the U.S. He later returned to Texas and served as an Indian agent for the Mexican government. Bean set out the Texas Revolution being mistrusted by both sides, but he stayed in Texas until 1844. He died in Jalapa, Mexico, at the home of his Mexican wife in 1846. Bean's memoirs, published in 1816, are one of the primary sources of information for the Nolan expeditions, but accounts of this disastrous adventure were published as early as 1801. Nolan's Mexican friends in Texas were prosecuted by Spanish authorities in order to discourage any more American incursions and also to kill off the wild horse trade. Unfortunately for the Spanish, the heavy-handed treatment of Nolan and his men, despite the fact that it was a poorly planned and highly illegal endeavor, served to turn American opinion against the Spanish dons who ruled Texas and Louisiana. While Nolan and his tiny band of men were not a credible threat to the Spanish Empire, they became a symbolic precursor to more serious threats against Spain's rule in Texas. Well, yet again, we talk about wild-eyed, wild-eyed adventurers that <laughs> yeah. come to the frontier of Texas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to think of Texas at the time and the way people from the United States saw it. And they're like, you know, it's just this big open land. Nobody's mm-hmm. living there, but there's all these cattle and buffalo and, and should just, we should just we yeah. should just go and get what we want you yeah. know nobody's using it anyway right and it seemed that that spain wasn't really interested in occupying it at the time in so for the americans perspective this america at the time you know is the myth of america is that we got this, this energetic people who want to bust out of our boundaries and the Spanish are like, well, we're going to set up some cities here in this town here and do some mission stuff, but it's not a big deal. Yeah, and this is pre-Louisiana Purchase, so right. all that territory is not part of the United States, the, and it's actually controlled by Spain. And the time frame thing is interesting to me because I look at the dates here, and it's like, okay, American Revolution goes down. The distance between the American Revolution and these events is about the distance between us today and Nirvana's Nevermind album right. coming out. Yeah. Like, us being in college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, like grunge, like grunge. Yeah. Think about grunge. Well, how far we are from grunge? Not far. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is that when he first went there, seventeen ninety one, George Washington was still alive. Yeah, yeah, I think George Washington might have still been president at the time. <laughs> yes, this is Texas history, not American history. Right. Yeah. Uh. So, but the point is, is that is that it's sort of like with France, where we the Americans didn't see Spain using it, playing with that toy, as I like to say. But as as soon as like we anybody in America showed any interest, Spain's like no 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 this is mine you can't have it. Are and and that's the interesting thing about the story I think is that Nolan was not a like we said he's not a credible threat. I mean was, he had thirty guys with rifles. Yeah, and he was mostly interested in horses and yeah and trading, know, trading with, Indians. with the Indians. Yeah, and yet but the Spanish saw said, oh. 
they came down heavy, heavy on this guy. And it, it created this situation where what they were scared of actually came as a result of their actions. See, before we even started talking about all of these, all of these filibusters in previous episodes too, you know, if you'd asked me what a filibuster was, I'd have said, well, I, it, it may be like one of those uh, giant steaks you get at a place, <laughs> or maybe it's something that uh, Dairy Queen is tinkering with on yes. the menu. Yes, it's whatever's right above the belt buster. Yeah. <laughs> it goes hunger buster, belt buster, filibuster. <laughs> somebody get somebody de- get DQ on the line. Well, then, and then the next one, of course, is the Hulk buster. That's, right. <laughs> that's a new t- tie-in from Marvel next summer. Yeah. Um, so it is interesting. Also, we've talked about a ellis bean in a in previous episodes in our episode about um the cherokee yeah uh because he was an agent for the cherokee and he's an interesting character in that he kind of kept popping up not in a major role in texas history but just sort of popping up as a character who had a play had a part to play and he's also a person who he stayed in mexico and fought for the liberty and the freedom of the Mexican people in the Mexican revolution. So there is a bridge between what Nolan was doing and the Mexican revolution, which then spawned the Texas revolution. Revolution. Right. And he's on my, uh, top three favorite Texas guys with the last name of bean. Bean. (laughs) (laughs) He's right behind judge Roy and Alan. Uh, another thing we talked about and you see in this is uh, it's kind of a precedent for unusual, heavy handed execution of Anglos by, uh, by yeah, the did, officials in Mexico. Did, did your research show what they did with the ears? Or oh, they cut they cut Nolan's ears off because uh, to show to prove that he was he was right. They killed so it. rather well, than know keeping that his ear in, anywhere, so rather right. than rather than keeping his head, they just cut off his ears. Well, they was, were was, they were civilized. I was, mean, was there something distinct about his? They ears? were civilized people. No, no, there wasn't mm-hmm. anything. It was. This is come on now. They wouldn't chop his head off. That's what savages do. Hmm. <laughs> we take the ears. <laughs> it is an interesting story yeah. too about where they were marching back to Nacogdoches, and everybody's buddy buddy is like, "Hey, we're just going to escort you out of. Yeah, we're just going to walk you to the door." Right. And one of the now one of the fun things I found out about fun. This is fun. One of the interesting <laughs> things I found out about Philip Nolan is that a descendant of Pierce found on property that he owned in that area. Mm-hmm. That he'd gotten later uh, after the Mar- the Texas Revolution, he found the marker when he was clearing out brush. He found the marker for Philip Nolan oh. of his gravestone. Um, so there's that's a that's a, one of those coincidental connections. It's interesting Wilkinson because he's he doesn't sound like the most awesome guy. No, um, when we were talking at one point about scoundrels uh, in the history group about doing a show or a uh, collage on scoundrels to me like james wilkinson jim Bowie is like the han solo type of scoundrel and james wilkinson is the um like boba fett no oh. like the job of the hut type Jabba of scoundrel ah, yeah. <laughs> i was trying to think of a better one yeah he's he's like he's the bad scoundrel um we haven't even touched the the tip of the iceberg on wilkinson but what why we're talking about wilkinson is he has some odd connections with texas and that continue through some of the later events well we talked about it on some previous episodes of how he sort of keeps popping up in texas history he never never to my knowledge never actually came to texas he was at the border but he never actually went to texas but he has a connection with texas and and with these schemes uh to 
to take Texas, to use Texas, to make money off of Texas, to profit off of Texas. The other thing is that he's doing all of this while he is basically the after the president, the commander-in-chief of the United States Army for a long period. He's the senior officer in the Army. And he's also on Spain's payroll. He's also a spy for Spain. They found this out about 100 years after his death. These papers came to light. Well, that was fortunate for him that it yeah. was 100 years after he died. <laughs> yeah. um, but, there was, but the thing was is that so these stories that he might have been in the pay of Spain were starting even as early as the, 18, as, as the 1790s. Matt Anthony Wayne who was, at the time, the number one senior commander, actually was preparing court-martial charges for him about this very issue, about accepting money from Spain, and he died. So he couldn't bring his court-martial. So that was the first, one of the first court-martials for, for Wilkinson, but there were several others that came about, and he skated by them. He was kind of a Teflon Don. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like a lot of people that— did actually go into Texas, like Philip Nolan, and I think there's some others that he influenced, mm-hmm. and they yeah. kind of, kind of came under his wing, and he sort of influenced them, and right. kind of lit their fires, so to speak, and they went on to cause cause a ruckus. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. Tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes. That can help us get noticed and reach new listeners, just like you. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas, Texas wants you anyway. anyway.